0: You'll want the package being delivered. What if I told you that your phone could be hacked for $16, and all the texts that were meant for you were rerouted to someone else with nefarious designs in your most personal exchanges? Well, it's a real thing, and it happened to motherboard reporter Joseph Cox, who's on the show to explain. In fact, we were recording another interview, and Joseph was being hacked in real time. We start there on this week's episode. I'm Ben Maku, and welcome to Cyber.
1: Now, I'm actually—I've actually actually just turned on my recording. I'm I'm literally being hacked right now, and that's why I was late. What happened? This researcher is just going through this uh, relatively obscure technique for taking over phone numbers. And he got into my Postmates account uh, just now and I got a notification. And let me just check my text messages. One second. Yep. I think he just got a text message from Lorenzo, (laughs) which is not going to my phone. It's going straight to the attacker's phone. So, yeah, this guy is now me. Wow. And it says, you know, can you relay my message to Joseph to confirm you got it? So this is some real-time hacking, man.
0: (laughs) We're doing it right (laughs) now. This is it. (laughs) And you, and you you obviously, like, arranged this with the guy beforehand.
1: Yeah, yeah, we arranged it, and he's doing it with my consent and all of that. And, I mean, they're launching a service that can protect against this sort of thing. But the reason I'm interested in it is because it is just a really weird... Avenue of attack. We'll, we'll go more into the specifics at some other point, but basically it's not sim jacking It's not ringing up the telco. It's not uh, SS7 It's using some really obscure companies. That I've personally never even heard of and now he has control of my number and it's screwed And I don't even have any warning on my phone Like I'm looking at my phone right now. And it has a T-Mobile SIM card in it and I have signal apparently, you know as in I have reception but I'm not getting any texts, but it hasn't warned me that I've been hijacked. It's, it's really, really crazy and how, how alarming it, quick and easy it was,
0: it seems. So if you got hacked like this, like for real, and not set up by one of your friends, one of your researcher friends, right. you, wouldn't, you wouldn't recognize this happening. This just, you'd be going on with your day and not knowing that your texts right. are being harvested.
1: Right, like maybe I'm missing something, but I'm looking at it right now and it still says I have like LTE and it still says I'm on T-Mobile, whereas if you were like simjacked, what would happen is that you would lose signal on your phone and that's like a symptom that lots of people who fall victim to simjacking have, they're like, oh... I lost signal and then I got a uh, notification from Gmail that someone broke into my email account or I got a notification that someone got into my Bitcoin Coinbase account or something like that. But I've received no warning at the moment so far. So this guy Jesus. is just rummaging through my stuff. And again, I'll check my other text messages in a minute, but he's having a field day right now. You know, I'll, I'll let him do that and we'll, we'll, we'll get back to it and see how, how much my life is ruined.
0: All right. So Joseph, last we heard from you, you were getting hacked. Your, your cell phone was getting hacked. For most people, that would be an absolute nightmare. But this is something you actually set up yourself.
1: <laughs> yes. Last time we were speaking, as, as we were talking, uh, somebody had taken over my um, uh, redirected text messages uh, to theirs that were meant to be for me and then getting into my accounts. And I mean, what actually happened is that uh, Lucky225, a pseudonymous uh, security researcher and director of information at Oki uh, Systems, which is a cybersecurity firm, uh, with my consent, they rerouted my text messages to their phone. Now, that may sound like something you've heard before. Oh, yeah, it was probably simjacking or SS7
0: the sim is the small card that contains your phone number the hackers got rob's carrier to swap his number off his sim and put it on their phone that redirected rob's calls and text messages messages like the ones you get when you need to reset your account after forgetting a password the hackers had access to security codes and had full access to his account
1: but no what makes this interesting is that this was a you know A relatively obscure attack, making use of companies in an industry that nobody really pays attention to. And the short version is that Lucky paid a company called Sakari $16. And then that gave him the capability to reroute my text messages. It is that simple. (laughs) That's all he did was pay money, enter my number, into a dialogue box, signed a little form promising me he had consent to do so. And then a few minutes later, he got my texts, including, you know, login tokens for various online accounts, which he then broke into.
0: And okay, so how is this going to affect just like your regular person? Like, is this something that you could see being widespread that is particularly dangerous? So
1: ordinary people already have to worry about simjacking, you know, which is when a hacker will phone up um, a telco or or whatever trick them into porting uh, the phone number onto a different SIM card, and they get your login codes like that. And ordinary people face that sort of thing because of harassment or breaking into uh, online can, uh, online accounts, bank accounts, stealing cryptocurrency as well. Um, when it comes to this attack, we don't know how widespread the use of it is yet. But the information is out there, and certainly the capability to do so is out there. Sakari did put in protections to stop this sort of abuse. Now, when you add a phone number, the phone will actually you know, get an automated voice call saying, hey, did you sign up for this? Do, do you consent to rerouting of text messages? So that's there. But again, this is a whole industry. This isn't just one company or one failure point. It is a systemic delegation of not only the capability of rerouting text messages but the delegation of t- obtaining consent to do so and there are plenty of other companies where you could go to and start rerouting text messages of a target be that you know an ordinary person or someone at a company or potentially you know a government official but to be honest if we talk about targeting government officials uh, by another state i mean obviously states have much much more sophisticated ways of going about it but any random person could sign up to Sakari and just do it.
0: Welcome to Sakari.io, a place to send and receive bulk text messages with anyone. And do you, I mean, this is the thing. It's that, like, who, who, who would use this to sort of mass employ it to scam for money? Because obviously you're the guy who have broken a lot of news on this. I mean, how, how might a criminal use this kind of tool?
1: Uh, I mean, a lot of banks rely on two-factor authentication, which is delivered by SMS. I know banks are increasingly moving away from that. And of course, they have other mechanisms in place, you know, such as browser fingerprinting and that sort of thing. But still, SMS2FA or SMS password reset tokens really do provide a very good avenue for criminals to break into accounts. So if you can get into a bank account, of course, then you could potentially at least view balances, if not redirect funds. Of course, it you know varies from bank to bank you could get into somebody's email account potentially and get more information that way and pivot off that to start finding some you know some way to generate money or you can even just extort people in the end right we increasingly see that with hackers breaking in and then trying to blackmail the victims for cash to avoid releasing secrets and it really always just boils down to not just the issue with Sakari in this industry and the ease of rerouting text messages, it also comes down to online services, online companies' reliance on using SMS as a login or a verification method. And now that we have SIM jacking, now that we have SS7, now that we have... you know Even when you buy a SIM card, you sometimes accidentally get somebody else's text messages that were meant for them anyway. That's happened to me several times. And now we have this as well. SMS is just an antiquated mechanism for actually verifying
0: who you are that was kind of one of my next questions cuz I, I, I get this every once in a while people ask me they're like is two factor actually good and is it effective anymore and lately i've been wondering and thinking i don't know <laughs> yeah i mean i mean two factor
1: is a fantastic mechanism and tool for protecting your online accounts it is incredibly important but Whereas there are more and more of these attacks on SMS, it shows that SMS two-factor authentication specifically potentially enters and introduces new risks to a target. I mean, I remember years ago, I was at um, some sort of technology conference and an activist from Egypt told me that he does not put... 2FA on one of his accounts. And specifically, this was SMS 2FA at the time because nothing else was available. Again, this was a while ago. And I found it very baffling. I asked him, Look, why are you not putting 2FA on your accounts? This is insane. He's like, Well, in Egypt, you know, the government owns the telcos. They'll just redirect your text messages and adding the phone number actually made him less secure. And in a way, of course, I'm not trying to uh, compare, you know, the everyday digital lives of everybody else to a targeted Egyptian activist. But the same sort of principle applies, at least in some cases, that introducing a phone number can add additional risk. And that seems to be the case here.
0: Yeah, I got to say, I mean, I've gone to places, I've reported from places like Russia or Pakistan, and every time I've gone in with a complete burner that has nothing to do with my name and number, and that's the only way I can really kind of, and even then, you're you're still risking that someone can read your text messages.
1: Right. Absolutely. And let's say you were in the country and then you, you know, requested a login token or something like that or mm-hmm. a 2FA token. Some sort of third party could potentially do that. But to get back to the sort of what this means for ordinary people, the risk is the same somewhat in that, well, it, you get a login token, you get a 2FA token. But what is different here? Is that I don't need to be technically skilled, have technical knowledge, or even really be a hacker to leverage this. Like I don't have to ring up and socially engineer, you know, AT and T or T Mobile or whoever. I don't have to get access to the SS7 network, which you know the vast majority of people on the planet obviously cannot do. I cannot do at least on a technical level. But with this, when you fill out a form, sign a piece of paper, enter a phone number, that changes the risk calculus when it's that easy.
0: Yeah, no kidding. So I, I, I got to ask as well, because this story got a lot of traction. I think it's pretty much been our most popular story this week at Vice Period. Why do you think this, these, these types of stories hit so hard for people?
1: I mean, there is, a, there is often a danger. And, and, and to be clear, I don't look at the traffic. so I have no idea on any of my stories, but <laughs> I do. But I can tell, I can tell if, you know if I get more tips or something like that. And usually when we'll write about phone security, maybe it's SS7 or maybe it's SIM jacking, I get a few people reaching out, you know? But it's because we've heard of all of that stuff before. It's got very boring. People probably have fatigue a bit and that sort of thing. But what made this one different, I think, was the price specifically, you know, and I really, really pushed that. in that 16 bucks to reroute someone's text messages, people get that, people understand that, a lot of people have $16, you know, and they say, well, and I can just apply that and then reboot these text messages. That's insane. I think that's what gives it the wider
0: appeal there. Yeah, because I think, I mean, the other thing too, that I think the story why it's, it's such a significant one is that, you know, I think you've been in this reporting on cybersecurity for a while now. And I think just how sophisticated and easy and accessible a hack like this is compared to how it was, say, I don't know, even a decade ago. Mm -hmm. really speaks to sort of like this i mean the the professionalization i mean not professionalization the increasing power of hacking and of people to get access to tools and to things that previously seemed sort of the scope of nation states and now it's like for 16 bucks and like you said a lot of people have 16 bucks you can attempt a a hack like this
1: yeah yeah i I mean when I was so we did, we did a, uh, another story in twenty nineteen slash twenty eighteen where I paid three hundred dollars to a bounty hunter source who then geolocated a T Mobile phone. You know, similar sort of thing, and that they're testing a capability with consent, and there is money involved, and that's sort of the point uh, of the story. Um, and of, of course, when I did that story, it was fascinating and highly concerning. In this one, I feel like I said. Oh shit! Out loud, like a lot more <laughs> aggressively and sincerely. When I saw what was possible, it was just mind blowing. It was mind blowing that you could enter a phone number into a dialogue and you could reroute their text messages. Like, what could you poss? What use case is there possibly for doing that without a consent mechanism? And it does just boil down to again, not only you know the gaping holes in SMS when we have this incredibly old protocol and the infrastructure around it, but just the telcos. In general, you know, this is not a one-off. They were selling location data before. They've now somehow provided the capability for other third parties to reroute text messages. This is the telcos always ultimately at bottom, you know?
0: Well, I got to say, Joseph, if you are afraid of something surveillance related, that terrifies me. (laughs) Right.
1: (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I mean, I don't use a phone uh, as you know, but I had to go buy a SIM card for this. And I do, I do want to shout out the, the two very nice guys, uh, in T T-Mobile shop who see a guy come in dressed in all in black with his black mask and just looking very, very shady. And then they ask me, D- do you want me to put your name on this card? I'm like, no, uh, I'm okay. <laughs> Thank you. So, they, they immediately got the vibe of what was going on, like a guy storming and saying, I want a SIM card, no contract, just nothing, just nothing, yeah, please, give yeah. SIM, please give me a SIM card, and it worked, so thank, thanks to them. Well,
0: <laughs> I mean, you are sketchy, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I, I yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, thanks, Joseph. Thank you
1: so much.
0: Lorenzo, last week you were our host for another My First Hack. How was that?
2: It was good. It was good. I'm enjoying the series. Last week we had Katie Mazuris, who's a really badass uh, woman in cybersecurity. So it was really fun and uh, I'm looking forward to more of these.
0: I interviewed her once in Vancouver years ago.
2: Mm, Was that for a CanSec West or something like that?
0: Yeah, I think it was a CanSec West or something. Yeah, whatever it was. It was in Canada. It was it was old Canadian Ben. Anyway, let's get into this. Enough with the past, Lorenzo. So this one just, like, I, I read it and I thought to myself, of course Silicon Valley has dipped its toes in the drug cartel game. So some, some feds are alleging that a tech CEO designed a narco sub for some drug cartels. <laughs>
2: Yeah. What? Yeah. Exactly. Like this story is um, fantastic. It's incredible. It has really everything. Uh, This is the story of uh, Marty Tibbits, who was a CEO of a tech company. He founded an aviation museum in Detroit, and on the face of it, he had a very normal life. He died in 2018 in a plane crash. But what's interesting is that the DEA now alleges that on the side, he was living a double life with the name of Dale Johnson. And he was working with the narcos on uh, smuggling drugs using something called parasitic submarines, which uh, are basically drones that get attached to boats or ships and, you know, filled with drugs. And then can be released if you know there's danger of getting caught or something like that, and <laughs> which is I didn't know this existed. Like this sounds like amazing technology, honestly. And the DA alleges that he uh, he was designing a, one of these drones with a with an associate, and the plan was to equip it with GPS and other and a modem so that he could like uh, communicate with uh, you know the smugglers in case it got lost and they needed to retrieve it. So. Yeah, I mean, this is amazing. Yeah, really I mean, it sounds like a movie.
0: It, it does. I mean, so one thing is that drone technology, everyone thinks that drone technology, it's gone so far. You have land and and you have uh, air drones that have really advanced. But one thing that there hasn't been a ton of, and it's only just recently in the last probably few years, is underwater drones is a massive thing because they need to be able to create them, but it's harder to to create the signaling as far as I understand it. So that alone was pretty crazy, but it's, it's almost like Silicon Valley genius was solving a problem for drug cartels. Also, how many more things are, are, are going to come out of Silicon Valley that are just nefarious? Like, this one is a pretty clearly nefarious one. It's not just like, hey, Amazon, you know, you should allow your workers to have a union. It's they're literally creating drones for drug, like murderous drug cartels.
2: Yeah, like I definitely did not have that on my bingo card to use a really... Uh, tired joke. But yeah, this is, I mean, to me, it's amazing that this guy was, you know, like a successful CEO. He had like a normal life and he had the time to run a business, you know, a drug business empire.
0: Exactly. All right. So this next one, it's one of yours. And I knew it was going to be yours when I saw the headline because it's just a classic. We love to talk about it. Lorenzo, we love to talk about a critical infrastructure hack, especially hack on that water supply.
2: So last week, the um, US prosecutors accused a 22 year old named uh, Wyatt Travnicek of accessing a water system, a public water system in Kansas, and trying to mess with it, Um, which is a story that resembles a lot a story that we talked about here a few weeks ago that we reported as well. Uh, where someone that still is unknown, an unknown hacker, accessed a, a water system in Florida and tried to poison it by messing with the chemicals in the water system. Uh, in this case, the tra- Travnicek did not uh, cause any damage, at least as far as we know right now. And he was a previous, uh, he was a former employee of the company that he hacked into. The Feds have not said exactly how he hacked into. Uh, this public water system. But, you know, given the fact that he was a former employee, he probably just reused the password or, you know, they didn't revoke his access or something like that. And, you know, that may mean that it wasn't a super sophisticated hack. But as you mentioned, this is interesting because this is public infrastructure. This is critical infrastructure. And you know, you would hope that they would be a little bit more careful, you know, if you fire someone or someone leaves, uh, that's the first thing you got to do, right? You got to remove their access to the systems because you never know. So, yeah, yeah, uh, and what's interesting is also that this is just a few weeks after this other case and um, yeah, it just seems like, you know, we're close to one of these incidents actually causing some damage, which obviously nobody wants, but the trend seems to be that, that way.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's just I guess the thing is, is, as you know, so many people have been discussing critical infrastructure hacks and what it could what it could become for for years. And it dates back to Leon Panetta saying that cyber Pearl Harbor. Cue the clip. The collective result of these kinds of attacks could be a cyber Pearl Harbor. It's just something you hear all the time, but and you think it's going to be this big, sophisticated thing, and then little do we know it's just some guy who still has the credentials.
2: Yeah, or in the other case uh, from a few weeks ago, someone logging in and controlling like a remote computer, and and in that case they got caught because someone was looking at that remote computer and saw the mu- the mouse moving uh, when they were not controlling it. So yeah, I I think you know you would expect that all these uh, super important systems. Protect protected a little bit better.
0: Now, back to my absolute favorite subject of all time. Please cue that UFO music. This one, I just like, th- this is actually like what aliens are gonna look like if we have to meet them. Uh, like, it's not gonna be some little green man, it's gonna be some creepy looking, like, arrival type alien where it's just a giant jellyfish. And in fact, this story, the headline being scientists discover huge and mysterious jellyfish shaped structure in space. And the part that really freaks me out is that this is like 1 million light years away or whatever. So it's super far, but it's made of plasma.
2: <laughs> yeah. Like <laughs> this, this was a, What? <laughs> yeah, this story was an eye opener for me. And I think Becky did a great job at explaining something that is super complicated. And, yeah, the story is that some uh, some scientists found this thing called, um, I, they called it the USS Jellyfish. And it's just an enormous entity that they found um, 1 million light years away. And when I say enorm- enormous, I mean like it's unimaginable how big it is. It's as big as 340 million light years. Um, so, you know, it's huge. And uh, it looks like a jellyfish. And... Um, it's so crazy that the scientist who found it initially thought that there was a there was a bug in his computer system. He thought that there was no way that this thing actually existed. And then he, he talked to his supervisor and they were like, actually, let's look into this. And yeah, it actually exists.
0: <laughs> God is just a giant, just a giant jellyfish in the end.
2: <laughs> yeah, who knows? Like, uh, there's a lot of questions <laughs> around this. Uh, people are still trying to figure out exactly what this uh, giant blob is.
0: It's pretty cool though, I mean, this is the thing. I, Becky puts out a story every other day where it just like, <laughs> I, it just re- reorders my understanding of the world or the universe, which is like not very sophisticated, obviously, but <laughs> but it's just something wild like this. Like it's just unexplainable to the most brilliant people in the world. And I don't know, I believe, I hope it's something cool.
2: Yeah, maybe it is God, maybe it is a sign of, uh, <laughs> of a higher form
0: uh just two italians debating who god is classic
2: hopefully the vatican is not listening
0: uh okay well i guess that puts that puts an end to the week for us mr lorenzo i'll talk to you next week
2: yep have a good weekend everyone
0: bye planning for your next trip